Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Podcast, a back-of-house look at the planning and delivery of the Salt Lake 2002 Olympic Winter and Paralympic Winter Games, as told by the very people who organized them. I'm Christian Napier, and today I am pleased to be joined by our first husband and wife duo on the podcast joining us here. It's Anne-Marie and Craig Holland, all the way from Gold Coast, Australia. How are you guys doing? We're great. We're so happy to um, to be joining this little project you've got going. Yes, thanks, Christian. This is, this is fantastic. Well, it's been a lot of fun for me going down the proverbial memory lane with so many people. Some that I never remembered or I don't remember working with, but you two I remember very, very well, and I enjoyed working with both of you. And so I'm so happy to have you guys on the podcast today. So I mentioned at the outset that you are joining us from Gold Coast. So what are you doing there in Gold Coast, Australia? Well, um, as um, um, we'll probably get to, but um, we've been on the um, Games Junkie Trail for, for many years, actually, um, since we uh, first moved to go to Salt Lake. And um, so after many years of traveling and moving countries and setting up new houses and new schools, we uh, actually decided after I finished the Commonwealth Games um, in 2018 that we would stay put on the Gold Coast for a while. And so we have formed a little company called Holland Event Consulting, um, and we are um, doing consulting for games um, across a couple of different areas. So that's what we're up to. Well, I want to get into this consulting a little bit. How's that going, given all of the COVID madness that's happening, which has really taken a toll on this event space? Well, it's interesting for me because um, I have been um, working from home remotely a fair amount anyway. Um, it wasn't so much of a huge shift um, in my sort of day-to-day activity, but I think perhaps for Craig, who was traveling a bit more, it's been a bit more um, of a change, I guess. Yeah, it's it's definitely different. I mean, the one advantage with consulting is you can do a lot of it remotely. I think a lot of people actually prefer you do things to do it remotely. Uh, but yeah, if you know, for some of those projects, it, it's good to have that in-person. Um, discussions and and um, challenges that you need to work through uh, individually uh, so that does make it a little bit um, harder on some of the some of the projects but we're, we're continuing on now you mentioned kids are the kids in school are they going back to school what's the situation there in Australia with the schooling you know here in the states there's a lot of debate going on right now as we're in the summer holidays here in the US the children will be going back to school next month. Some cities have already decided they're not even going to have in-person schooling in the fall of 2020. And so there's a lot of uh, debate and consternation going on. What's the situation there currently in Australia? So um, we're located on the Gold Coast, which is in Queensland, which is one of our, which is our uh, northern eastern state. And um, touch wood, um, we've not been hit as hard as other areas of Australia. Um, and so... Um, also to do with the timing of our school year, we've not been hit as hard as the US or um, many, many other Northern Hemisphere countries. So for us, um, Isabel lost our daughter, who's now 11, Um, can't believe that, Um, but she lost about um, six weeks of schooling face-to-face where we were doing um, either extended holidays or online learning um, back in uh, April, May. Um, But um, We've been back in face-to-face school since the middle of May um, and 
to date. We have very low um, presentations of COVID in our state um, and therefore the kids are in school. So thankfully we're actually in a really good place. However, um, for our um, colleagues and friends that are in Sydney um, and in Victoria, which are further south, they've been hit much harder and, and had much longer periods of, you know, um, where the kids aren't in school. So we consider ourselves pretty lucky up here um, in Queensland. Well, that's good to hear. I just uh, heard that Melbourne recently locked down again. Is that right? They certainly did. And uh, um, it is, you know, it's a huge challenge. It's a huge challenge. And um, all the states are trying to manage, um, similar to the US, we're all trying to do the best thing within our own state. And um, what that means for Queensland is that we've had up until recently pretty hard lockdowns on other uh, people coming in from outside of Queensland, whether that be international or whether that be even from neighbouring states. So, um, so um, and because of that, it's uh, we've got low presentation, but I think we've got a long way to go with COVID um, and, uh, you know, we can't stay locked down forever. So um, we'll just have to wait and see what happens. Well, that's what we're doing. We're waiting and seeing. I certainly hope that you down there are doing a much better job than our states up here because <laughs> we're doing a really terrible job. Even here in the state of Utah, where we've had low rates for a long time in the last, I'd say, three weeks ago, it's really started spiking and, you know, it's causing all kinds of fun challenges here. Enough of COVID talk. Tired of COVID talk. I'm sure everybody's tired of COVID talk. We're all living COVID talk every day. So let's talk Salt Lake 2002. Let's go back a little bit. Why don't you each describe uh, for us how you ended up coming to Salt Lake City? Okay. So um, I was really, um, I consider myself very lucky. I um, stumbled into a job um, for the Sydney 2000 Olympics um, where um, I was asked by um, a colleague or a friend who had a mutual friend who knew someone that was looking for um, an HR admin coordinator um, to work in an event team. And at the time, I was working in um, banking recruitment, which is kind of the opposite end of the spectrum to working in events. It's very structured and quite dull at times. Um, and I was ready for a change. And so I applied for this position and I rang up. Um, the contact, who was a Richard Bessemer, who, um, as many people will know, was one of the principals um, for CI and ran EVS um, for Salt Lake and got invited in for an interview. But he didn't actually mention that it was for the Sydney Olympics and I actually thought it was just for um, an event company. And so when I turned up for the interview, um, I couldn't find the building because I couldn't find the company name and all I could see was the big Olympic building building. Um, but eventually I found my way in and I found Richard, interviewed, got the job. And after the Sydney Games finished, um, I was just really fortunate that um, he and uh, Steve and Mike um, invited me to go work with them over in Salt Lake. Um, and that was one of the um, most defining moments of my career and my life um, and, um, and changed the course of history somewhat. So um, it was a really exciting time for me. 
We'll get into that history in the upcoming moments here. But Craig, what about your journey? What was your journey like here to Salt Lake? Yeah, well, before Salt Lake, um, I started out working in um, university sports there in the U.S. So, and you know, Christian, you know how big uh, university sports are. Um, and so my my roles were uh, a lot of doing event management and facility management uh, for different. Um, I started out in... Uh, Southern Methodist University there in Dallas, Texas. And then uh, before going to Salt Lake, I moved over to a university in Tennessee um, and was working there for a couple of years before um, getting a, uh, seeing a ad um, and responding to it to be able to uh, apply for Salt Lake 2002. Um, and so, yeah, made a, um, ended up getting an interview and, and uh, getting selected to come over uh, for that. Um, I did have one advantage, one Olympic experience prior to um, Salt Lake, and, and that was uh, in 96 in Atlanta. I know that may date me a little bit, but um, I, I, uh, my boss was meant, uh, meant to go work um, as a, at a role um, and, and for a short time in Atlanta. Um, and unfortunately, he had something come up and wasn't able to go, and he nominated me to go in his place. And so for three months, I was over in Atlanta um, at the, in Athens, Georgia, actually, working um, in event services for the uh, football venue where we had the quarterfinals and finals for football. And it was just an amazing experience. And that definitely set the bug for why I wanted to get back into it. So you both come here through different paths uh, to Salt Lake City. Why don't each of you describe for us a little bit about the roles that you assumed in the Salt Lake uh, Organizing Committee? Um, so I came in as a project coordinator for um, contemporary services. And um, in a previous podcast, I think Todd talked a little bit about what it's like to be an embedded contractor working within an organizing committee. Um, and so one of the things that um, we do a little bit differently is that we have our own HR, we have our own payroll and uh, we have our own sort of business administration, and so um, certainly in the early, so in the early periods, that was a lot of the focus of my work was actually supporting um, the partners um, in that in that piece of work to make sure that everything ran smoothly in terms of um, um, just the business. Um, and I helped out with everything else because that's what you do in an event company. So you do a little bit of everything. Um, and, um, one of the, I, I guess one of the things I really loved about it was I got to do all the onboarding and I actually continued that onboarding role on for quite a few games, um, and, you know, bringing new people in and, and seeing them, you know, come from their first day, um, all the way through to, you know, thriving out at their venues or in their roles, um, has always been a, a really cool part of the job for me, um. And just leading into where Craig came from, um, in the early days, I was helping um, Rob Peterson, who was our HR coordinator with the interviews um, um, for people coming in, and we sort of had a shared approach to it. Um, and uh, Craig was in the first batch of um, people that we interviewed for event services managers, um, and we interviewed at the beginning of February in 2001, um, and I think Craig was maybe the uh, second or third person to be interviewed in the program. So, yeah, so that's where um, it came for me. And I ended up being an, a, an event services venue manager for Soldier Hollow, um, which was uh, obviously cross-country and biathlon venue. 
uh, for both the Olympics and the Paralympics. Uh, so it was um, a good fun there. Um, but yeah, that's what uh, role I did uh, for there in Salt Lake. But do you know, Christian, he didn't nearly get the job because um, during the interview process, um, we were I was interviewing with Rob Peterson and also Lachlan Clark, um, and who was our, one of our ops leads. And um, um, when Craig interviewed, it was a really bad old-fashioned video link, you know, um, and, you know, 20 years ago. It wasn't the quality that we have today. And um, for some reason, it, it it wasn't set up properly. And so it was really hard to hear Craig. And he was sort of situated in the bottom right-hand side of the screen and we couldn't bring him up properly. And there were all these technical problems. Um, and within all that, I actually wasn't sure that Craig was the right fit for an ops manager. And uh, I remember sitting with Rob and, and Lachlan afterwards and going through some of the candidates. And I said, oh, I'm just not so sure that he's the right one for this role. I think he might be better for a different role or for a staffing role. Um, but luckily for Craig and for me, um, they overrode that and said, no, we think he's fine and uh, brought him through for second round interviews and he got the job. So um, I almost did myself out of a husband. So there you go. <laughs> yes, and I didn't find this out till later. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe she was uh, trying to say something there. And you know what, really? Uh, no. no, but that's so interesting. It's so funny how life finds a way, as uh, to quote Jurassic Park, life finds a way and and things all work out. We'll probably get into that a little bit later, but... I want to come back to a couple of things you said there, Anne-Marie. Number one, Rob Peterson. I haven't thought about Rob Peterson for a long time, but he was one of my favorite people. Musician, had a group. I remember his band played uh, there at, at Slock. Um, Rob was a lot of fun, really enjoyed him. And I have to say, by extension, all of the people at Contemporary International, I just loved all the people that uh, worked there. I thought uh, Contemporary did a great job of bringing in some really, really high quality people, both uh, from the city games and also uh, some local people uh, from Salt Lake or from the States that hadn't worked uh, previous Olympic games. So I have to give my hats off to them uh, for that. Yeah, I think um, they always took um, uh, an approach of um, not just looking at what was on the paper, but trying to hire um, people that had the same feel, I guess, or, you know, showed the same desire um, to do the job. And I know that um, there was a feeling that, you know, you could train people to do things. And so we looked broadly to find um, people. We looked, you know, we didn't just look for event people. We looked for people who came out of training, people who came from high schools that had been teachers in the past. Um, and so, you know, by having a more diversified approach to who we were looking at and casting the net a bit wider, I think that that helped to create, um, you know, uh, a team that was really um, sort of focused on um, how how they were and how they treated people and um, that focus on leadership development was a really critical piece of, of how um, CI managed their business. I think that's absolutely right. They spent a lot of time on trainings. I remember in Salt Lake, everybody kind of did their thing, you know, we, and we, we always try to create a consistent experience for people, but I know CI did a lot of things above and beyond. Like they have these symposiums every two weeks, you know, and, and they did a lot of stuff I thought to develop their people, which was, uh, which was important. And I think what's really been interesting is, um, 
uh, for me is seeing where all these people that, you know, we were all in our early mid-20s um, in, in Sydney and in Salt Lake um, and seeing all these people develop the most amazing careers um, over the last 20 years. And, you know, um, I credit my success um, in, in different games with the grounding that I got um, working with this amazing group of people um, and, you um, you know, I'm, I will be forever thankful for um, the training that I received and um, the, the base that they gave me for um, being able to work in this environment. But, you know, looking at all everybody else and where they've gone on and, and not just within CI but within games, you know, this type of work just gives you such an amazing breadth of experience to be able to go out and, and conquer in, in many different fields. So um, we mm-hmm. consider ourselves pretty lucky. Yeah, I mean, you can't. I mean, I haven't been able to repeat the experience I've received from working, you know, with NCI and working with the people, especially there in Salt Lake. I mean, that's really where I found sort of my my groove of what I wanted to do from now from then on, and the family I wanted to do it with because that's what everybody became. Is you spent so much time together, and not just in you know training, but you know either in work or out of work as well, outside of work. And and it, it literally became family because that's who you were working with in and day in and day out. Yeah, I want to come back to that family aspect in a minute. But before I do, Craig, I want to come back to Soldier Hollow. How did you end up at that particular venue? Did you draw straws? Did you flip <laughs> a coin? I mean, how did you how did you end up becoming the uh, event services venue manager there at Soldier Hollow? It's what they told me I was going to do when I showed up at the door the first day of work. So <laughs> it's it what venue they told me I was going to. Um, but it, to be honest, you know, I didn't really have like a cross country or biathlon type experience or anything like that. I mean, I had a lots of of event management experience, but nothing, especially in the winter sports, being from Texas, uh, um, you know, I've gone skiing before, but, uh, you know, nothing uh, in lines of this. Um, but yeah, so they, it's what I was assigned to do, but it's one of the things I embraced immediately and went and studied all the, the, the history of the sports and the background and how it works and um, got to know, you know, exactly, exactly how these sports, you know, function. Um, so that's kind of how it came about, but I'm glad I did because it ended up being one of the, well, I still think it's probably the best venue of of the games. No bias there. I'm sure (laughs) at the beginning, you, you know, at the beginning you might be thinking, well, geez, this is the venue that's furthest from the office. What are they trying to tell me? (laughs) They want me as far away as humanly possible to go work out in Soldier Hollow on the flip side. I thought it was beautiful there. And I thought the drive, you know, if you drive from Salt Lake City, from downtown Salt Lake City, either going the Park City way or going up through um, through Provo, up through yeah. uh, Provo Canyon and through Heber, a beautiful drive either way you go to Soldier Hollow. Yeah, I've done that drive uh, many times, even at 3 a.m. with blizzarding snow and and uh, during the games. And it still didn't phase, you know, how how much the beauty, even at night, you know, it can bring. So tell me when you actually moved out to venue, Craig, um, when did you guys actually stop working in the organizing committee central offices and actually start operating out there at Soldier Holler out the venue? I think there in Salt Lake, we were there pretty much on a daily basis uh, from probably about two months out 
um, working there every day. Now, that doesn't mean we were staying down there. We stayed down there during the games time. Um, we started, our shift started really early in the morning because we had uh, early competitions. Uh, I can remember being out uh, on the venue at three or four in the morning, um, trying to pick up and move barricades uh, with where my gloves were sticking to uh, the metal barricades because it was minus 20 something degrees. Uh, but yeah, we spent a, um, probably two months uh, going there every day um, prior to the games um, and just working from there pretty much most of the day. So during games time, you had accommodation up there in Soldier Hollow or did you have to commute? Uh, just there in Heber, we stayed um, stayed in an accommodation, a bunch of us actually, um, about seven or eight of us from from the venue team um, stayed in an accommodation together. So it made it nice. And uh, you went home from from the venue and you're still with, again, with your family from the venue. And Anne-Marie, I have to ask you, you know, your games time experience, given the role that you had as a coordinator, were you based at a specific game venue or were you at the functional area command or the mock? I mean, where where did you find home base to be during games time? So the FCC was a functional coordination center was my home base. Um, and um, I did shift as a, a, you know, on the FCC and a lot of driving stuff around the city and, and the mountains and, and the venues. So um, Craig Udian and myself um, and Helen Glasgow um, and Susan Smith were um, sort of key members of our FCC. Um, and we, um, would literally drive things around where they were needed and do all the running. Um, and then part of my role, um, because I was um, always thinking um, sort of more on the business side, was actually looking ahead and, and closing and closing out the business. So um, in terms of um, letting people, you know, letting people go, finalising paperwork um, and, and those things. So we were already looking ahead at the end of the games, which is always a sad bit, but even through the middle of the games, we were, you know, writing all the paperwork up and that kind of thing. So um, a little bit of everything. But the great thing about being the FCC is that, you know, you can kind of do what you want as long as you get the reports in at the end of the day. So uh, uh, Helen and um, my colleague and I, who was on, we were typically on shifts together, we um, we, we we did get out and about and may have had a sneaky look at, at, at a lot of the competitions that were going on uh, when we could. So. Uh, um, sneaking into, you know, the ice centre on a regular basis just to have a look and, and that kind of thing. All right, well, you got to tell us about sneaking around a little bit. See anything <laughs> memorable, anything exciting as you were sneaking around to some of these events uh, no, during game time? We- we uh, we did probably it's not the it, it's not what someone who who now works um, to lead these areas should be saying but we did try to see how far we could push our accreditation and how far we could get into the venues at time um, and you know we did learn that if you hold your clipboard and you look like you know where you're going you're usually okay um, but I think uh, since as we all know things have tightened up over the years and uh, we're uh, um, we don't sort of allow that behaviour anymore, but um, we did we did get to see you know quite a few athletes and uh, um, had a bit of fun. So and it, you got to you got to remember that it has to be fun for everybody. So I think we deserved it. Yeah, fun and also a lot of hard work, right? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> 
So Craig, tell us about Soldier Hollow. Um, what kinds of interesting experiences do you have up there leading up to, it, it could have been during test events as well, but you know, um, there on the venue, test events or leading up to or during uh, competition. Well, I think, you know, for Soldier Hollow, the, the biggest thing I think that people will always equate it to is um, a, a vision that, uh, you know, the venue general manager, Phil Jordan, brought, helped bring together, and that was putting together the Western experience, and um, which was an element um, that none of the other venues ended up having. And it was a, it, due to the, you know, historical nature of the uh, of Heber and the Heber Valley, um, it was putting in essentially like a, almost like a mini theme park-ish um, type element in the entrance of our venue. And we had uh, teepees and horses, and we even had bison outside of the venue um, that all played sort of an, uh, an element as you walk through uh, the entrance. And, you know, it just kind of gave you that feel of where you were, um, as well as giving a nod to the historical you know, uh, nature of, of the location. Um, so that part, I think, um, you know, putting, helping put that together and, and, and seeing what, how that played out was, a, was an amazing thing. Um, I can remember, um, you know, one of the offerings was to do sleigh rides down in one of the, inside the venue. And these horses had to come that were, that were pulling the sleigh had to come from outside to inside the venue every day. And just like people having to come through security, the horses had to come through security as well. And it, there was a part where there was a gate where Secret Service guys had to go every day and actually hand wand all the horses so they could come in, be cleared to come in uh, the venues to, to, to be uh, to help with the sleigh rides every day. Um, but, yeah, the experience there was was fantastic. Um, I think even more so in, in the Paralympics as well, where we actually ended up getting more snow than I think we did in the Olympics. And one of the, the biggest memories I have from, from Soldier Hollow is uh, we're doing, we just finished the competition. We're doing egress uh, where every, all the uh, spectators are starting to leave the venue. And one of the famous shots that I think somebody caught on, on video and put in um, was a bobcat actually in one of the trees um, nearby one, our, our exit route. And everybody going by and seeing this bobcat in the tree. Uh, luckily, no one panicked and no one, um, and the bobcat was just sort of laying there. But it, again, anywhere else, you know, you wouldn't expect that to happen. But th it happened there at Soldier Hollow. Well, this episode is quickly becoming Craig Holland's Wild Kingdom. We've got all <laughs> kinds of animal life here in the episode, and I love it. I love it. I have to ask about the horses. So, did the horses ever get busted for trying to bring in any prohibited items? As far as I know, they were clean um, every time. Uh, I think they tried to sneak in food every now and then, but uh, no, they, they ended up um, surrendering any of their items that they weren't allowed to bring in and came in. And were the horses accredited? Did they have their picture on accreditation? Did you have to look at it and say, oh, yeah, yeah. Uh, yep, I, yep. The horses that's your, actually, that's you. Um, believe we're accredited now whether they had the photo on i don't remember but i think they were actually accredited so that yeah it wasn't just random horses coming in i love these stories i think it's awesome it's fantastic okay Anne marie go back to the fcc of course it's the functional coordination center and so you're in contact with the venues everybody's calling in kind of reporting back on what's going on and uh also maybe escalating some issues or things like that. Anything interesting happened there at the at the FCC? Any interesting incidents uh, take place on your watch? I'm not 
sure that in Salt Lake, um, because we were fortunate that we did have a really well-trained team, um, I don't believe that we we had any significant um, issues which ever came through the FCC. Um, um, all the things that you normally get in an FCC, like low attendance for staff, well, we were in Salt Lake and attendance was fabulous. Like we very rarely had problems with volunteer attendance or, um, contra- you know, paid staff attendance. Those things just weren't an issue for us. Um, um, in terms of operational, um, I think um, usually it was, I, I remember the day that um, uh, UOP had uh, wind delays, I think it was, um, and you know, they, we had to call some reinforcements in because, it, you know, we were, uh, it was just, a, it was just causing a bit of havoc in terms of personnel. But overall, I don't think that there was anything that you would call it, you know, that was an absolute, we must stop everything and send the management up. And I think the way that we were structured, we also had, um, you know, management teams like Todd and Sky and, um, um, and Lachlan and Graham, and they were actually going out visit working with the venues. And so because of that really tight management structure, um, anything that was happening was was kind of being resolved on the spot because usually there was someone close by to actually support them. So um, by having um, that sort of strength out in the field, it meant that the FCC was relatively quiet. And that's how it should be, right? Things should be resolved at the venue if they, if they possibly yeah. can. And it sounds to me like Craig had a really exciting job at Games Time, and yours was really boring. I mean, he's got all the wildlife. That, uh, it, uh, it, you know, it uh, being in the FCC um, does have some uh, drawbacks, um, but um, you make the most of whatever job you're given. And um, um, you know, uh, a lot of my role is more centered around um, the startup and the closeout, and you know, um, that's um, you, you just take what you get and. Um, you know, some games you get exciting roles and, and some games not so much. Yeah, well, I'm just joking, but yeah, there, you don't have any bison roaming the halls of the FCC. <laughs> you don't have you don't have any bobcats that are, you know, perched on the printer there uh, at the FCC. <laughs> so, yeah, you definitely miss out the wildlife. I think uh, one of the things that um, I um, remember about, um, I, I guess, more living in Salt Lake um, was um, when I first arrived, um, I... Uh, so I came in with Craig Utian and another guy called Andrew Rutledge who uh, didn't stay on the project. But um, And when we arrived into Salt Lake and into the committee, we were absolutely blown away um, by sort of the warmth and, and how well we were greeted by um, the people that were there um, in venue management. Um, and um, so Susan Jones and, and the venue management team that were there um, and um, it always sticks in my mind, that feeling of arriving into a foreign country and you don't know what to expect when you move somewhere permanently. You kind of, you know, it's a lottery. Um, but I've never felt that warmth in any other games that have been in um, arriving into a committee. And um, I think, you know, there was a lot to be said for that, for that team and that, that time. Well, I have to ask about this. Uh, I asked Todd about it a little bit, right? You you come in you as, as a contractor, you're kind of in the committee, but you're kind of not in the committee. And I remember having meetings with you, Emery, on the on the system side, because we were always trying to figure out, okay, well, we got people that are 
contractors, yep. but we need to make sure that they get in the system so they can get their accreditation, they can be trained and they can be uniformed and and uh, assign shifts and so on and so forth. And so tell us a little bit about some of the challenges that you face, just making sure that your people were fully integrated in the committee and that they could operate and actually do their jobs unencumbered. I think um, for the most part in Salt Lake in particular, it was very much a partnership and I think um, Richard Besma, before we all arrived, had done quite a lot of work to make sure that um, the way the contracts were structured, we were very much embedded and that, you know, if you were working in a venue team and you came in late, you probably wouldn't have known that Craig was, you know, a contractor um, as opposed to the transport manager who wasn't. Um, And so I think where the differences really become apparent is in the benefits and um, in the... um, I guess, the HR management of the people. Um, obviously, um, you know, as a, as a private company, you've got a different pay rate system potentially. You've got different um, uh, benefits which come with the package and um, sometimes they can be better than a committee and in some areas they can be worse. So you might have a better pension, you know, social security program because it's an existing company. Or it may not be quite as as good because of the nature of a short-term project like a games. Um, and so balancing those things and it's a human element, you know, why why is it that they get to lease a car at this, you know, for this ridiculous amount of money um, uh, in um, as a permanent staff member? Why don't we get those benefits? Well, that's just not how it's structured. And making sure that we made that clear to our staff about what was in and what was out and always pushing a little bit the committee to see, you know, how far we could go and what we could actually get, you know, benefits for. So things like, you know, when um, uh, the recognition um, items come out, um, there's nothing worse than sitting at your desk and somebody comes around and goes, oh, not you because you're a contractor. So we really did push um, the organising committee and um, in Salt Lake, they were really good. You know, they were like, oh, that makes sense. Um, in some cases, in other places, we've had to pay for the additional cost of whatever the item was. Um, but those little things can make a big difference to how the team feels about themselves and how and their perceived value within an organising committee. Um, and sometimes as an individual, you think, oh, I didn't get the mug, so therefore I must not be important whereas it's really just a contractual thing. So trying to balance all those things. Um, and I think probably the big one which will forever stick in our minds is uh, the uh, post-games bonus. Um, and, you know, Slock um, employees did really well <laughs> out of uh, the games um, and, you know, and that was um, due to the success of, of our programs and sponsorship and loads of things. Um, but unfortunately, we weren't entitled to that. And I think for, for many contractors, not just CI contractors, it's probably, um, you know, always going to be um, something which just sticks in the mind a little bit. But the upside of that, of working for a contractor, is that actually Craig and I were fortunate and we both continued with CI and went to Athens and then we went to Italy with them. And so these are opportunities that... Um, were available to us because of the fact that we were working it as a as a separate entity, um, and we were able to keep moving with them um, without stopping and starting. So, um, so you know, different. There's different um, pros and cons for it, but certainly within the committee, um, I think 
for the most part, you couldn't notice. Um, you know, you might have something slightly different on your badge. You might have something, um, there might be some um, benefits that you may not get. But for the most part, it was it was pretty good in Salt Lake. Well, it was very obvious at games time because you guys had a different uniform color there for event services. Yes, but that's not about the company. That's about the uh, <laughs> that's about um, being uh, recognized as uh, as um, being a customer service function. Um, and so we had done that in Sydney, but again, it wasn't actually to do with um, the company designation. It was more to do with um, guest, you know, being very easily identifiable as guest services and. Um, I was happy in uh, Salt Lake because um, I ended up with a Mountain Shadow uniform because um, I think there were a few challenges with our uniform numbers, um, and uh, um, and that was great because nobody asked me any questions. So it's fantastic. So you got the best of both, best of both worlds. Exactly. Okay, so I want to come back to this uh, idea of continuity. So the games end, and. Because you're working for CI, they're pursuing Athens, and so you go there. So why don't you just tell us a little bit about what the trajectory was for both of you uh, post-games. You mentioned going to Athens and Torino and uh, beyond that. And what were some of the lessons that you learned there in Salt Lake that helped you deliver uh, more effectively in those future games editions that you that you participated in? So I think initially... Um, we thought we were going to get to Athens a little bit quicker than what than what we ended up, and so there was a, a significant break in between projects in the end. And I think there was a night uh, in the end there was probably about an eight months break, and I don't think we got anyone on the ground until January um, of um, the fall of two thousand and three. Um, so there was a little bit of waiting <laughs> as they as they tried to sort stuff out, um, and it was. Um, you know, although they had worked in Australia, working in Athens is a completely different thing, different language, different part of the world. Um, and what they, what I guess we were able to take what we had learned from Salt Lake. And um, I think probably um, the experience of having to have been so um, adaptable and flexible after we had 9-11 and um, I think Todd and Craig probably have both mentioned in previous podcasts about how we had to change um, our program in a very short period, um, you know, to reflect um, the new security levels and expectations of the public and, and, and things. So um, because we had been pushed into a corner where we had to be creative and we had to come up with new ways of doing stuff and recruiting people ridiculously quickly um, to fulfill roles and um, that didn't exist before and finding new uniform solutions and all sorts of things which um, came out as a result of that. Um, the group of there was a group of people within that team who had become very nimble and um, able to be um, to apply new things and think through things in a way that um, meant that when they we did go in to set up the Athens project, um, that um, people were on the ball and people were thinking creatively and they weren't just doing what had been done before. They were actually looking at new ways to, um, you know, different ways to resolve problems and to integrate. And um, um, and so that having that strong core team go in um, actually made that uh, the next project um, a huge uh, it, it, 
it was very it was very helpful in actually getting the Athens project up and running. Yeah. It, it really gave you a good baseline, somewhere to start from. So you know you weren't you've been able to test elements, you've been able to test uh, theories and, and practices and stuff, policies and procedures, etc. Um, in a games, and so you at least gave you a baseline of somewhere to start from. Yes, you had to make some adaptations for the the culture, the the environment uh, that you were moving onto. But I think from an experience standpoint, that's um, at least you had that baseline, and and you're not pulling it out of the sky, you know, for, as a as a new a new uh, entity or new element. Um, so it, uh, that really, I think, helps help us succeed a bit more, um, and especially in, in Athens and then and onward to Italy, uh, just because it re- really had a, a model of how to kind of come in and, and introduce. Um, you even mentioned, you know, before, like the symposiums and stuff like that. So internal of the, the company, you know, a model of how we saw ourselves being successful in, in introducing training and, and really educating the team and keeping them, basically getting them, everyone working from the same page. So there's no one that's working lower or, or higher than the, the another. So I want to come back to something that you said there, Anne-Marie, about having this uh, delayed period between the conclusion of the Salt Lake 2002 Games and the start of the Athens Games or your involvement in Athens, because it took a long time to get contracts done. And the same thing happened after Athens, right, with Torino. Mm -hmm. It took a while to get the agreements done. In some ways, was was it a bit of a a blessing (laughs) that you had a little bit of time to kind of you know, one, catch your breath after you've just spent everything to deliver an event and then to start late, start to lay the groundwork for the the next games edition that you were going on. You had this kind of a break in between that allowed you to kind of recharge the batteries and also start to build a foundation for the next edition. Um, in theory, it would have been. However, <laughs> um, in between Salt Lake and Athens, um, I guess running parallel to our um, our journey for Salt Lake um, was our budding romance um, through uh, Salt Lake, and and um, and um, we were we started dating about six months into the Salt Lake Games, um, and so um, in between all the um, talk of Athens and um, what was going to happen next, um, Craig had also proposed. Um, somewhere in the uh, in July of um, following the games, and so um, I was back in Australia because my visa had run out. Craig was still in Salt Lake um, working um, with CI, um, and um, we were sort of in a state of flux because um, I was pretty focused on getting our wedding planned, um, as well as you know um, I had to pick up a temporary job in Sydney. Um, so my mind wasn't necessarily, um, on the planning so much, um, for Athens at that time, but there was a core of people that were obviously looking at that. And, um, I think you do, you take stock of what you've done in the previous event, um, and you look at what worked and what didn't. Um, but then you also have to look at every event as an individual event and, and really assess it from the ground up because, um, cultural differences, but also, you know, just different structures. And in Salt Lake, for example, we were event services um, and um, those uh, in the business will know that there is probably, there is quite a difference between spectator services and event services in terms of what 
services are provided to spectators and to other client groups. Um, and so every time you go into a committee, it, there has to be a period where you determine uh, um, as you set those contracts up or even as a committee sets themselves up, what it, what it is that they want their guest services to be and do they want it to be evolved into an event services program or um, are they happier with it um, more as a spectator services program. And that um, really depends on how security plays in a country and what, you know, what the rules and regulations are in each individual country. So um, that can all take quite a lot of time to, to work through and to pick up, um, you know, the, the subtle details of what the, the client wants. So during that gap period, um, the core team would have been looking at, at how all that comes together um, before they actually put people on the ground. So Torino ends. What's next for Craig and Anne-Marie? Oh, well, after Torino, we uh, we took a little time off, uh, went on some holidays, um, and then we actually ended up in Qatar, of all places, uh, for the 2006 Asian Games. Um, so, um, yeah, I spent uh, several months over there uh, doing that. And I think I was actually in the muck with your good self, so <laughs> uh, Christian, for a while. Yeah, well, I was on the workforce side. I was yeah. working with Theo Babarutsis and Marios and uh, and Fred. If you mean Frederick uh, Blomers, yeah, from South Africa. Yeah, we had a lot of fun there there in Doha. So you do Doha, and you just stay in this space until Gold Coast, and and well, I mean, you're moving around constantly, and then you <laughs> decide there uh, to settle there. What an incredible journey for both of you. <clears throat> now. We typically end this question or the podcast with my three questions. But before I get to the three questions, is there anything that you thought about any specific stories or memories that you wanted to share aside from your goosebump moment that we haven't got to yet? Um, I think um, when I first arrived, um, one of the things that um, really um, made an impression on me was um, I, we had arrived, we'd been in the country three days and uh, I think I got an email probably from yourself saying you need to attend um, training, um, systems training for um, the scheduling system because uh, in December of 2000, we were launching into test events. In, in January, we had, uh, I think, our first round of um, test events and we were calling volunteers and, and all that good stuff. And as I remember, the lab, um, the computer lab was in a different location um, from um, headquarters. And um, and so. Um, we had to drive over there and so Bez uh, had thrown me the keys to the department car and said, oh, it's parked on level three. But he didn't actually tell me what, it, you know, what kind of car. He just said, oh, you know, number plates on the thing. Um, and I come from Sydney, inner city Sydney, and, um, you know, where I drove a teeny tiny car um, because I lived in the inner city. And so I walk out into the car park and I find the car and it is one of, I think, I think it was a Silverado. It was one of the biggest vehicles I'd ever seen in my entire life. I'd never seen anything that huge. And my first challenge was how I was going to get out of the car park because I had no spatial awareness of how to drive something that big. Um, I then found myself, um, I got out of the car park and I'm slightly terrified because it's way out of my comfort zone. Um, and um, having never driven in Salt Lake or anywhere um, in the US by myself before um, and end up um, sort of getting a bit lost. And 
um, turning the wrong way. And um, I ended up, and I, I don't know whether it's State Street, it may have changed now, but I ended up turning right onto seven lanes of incoming um, of, of incoming traffic um, because I was disorientated. I didn't know. And so where I was going, and I was in this massive Silverado um, uh, wagon. Um, it was just huge. And so that kind of sticks out, you know, the big vehicles that we had. And obviously they were practical. We had people driving up snow. We had people, you know, moving stuff around, but um, slightly terrifying for me. So that's probably um, one of the funnier memories that I think about is that big car. I think it was day three of my experience at Salt Lake. Well, you're not the only person that has uh, made the turn into incoming traffic or oncoming traffic. How do you say that? Um, I've actually done that myself on that road. Uh, There's there's fifth south that goes west to get on the freeway and there's sixth south that comes off the freeway and they're both one way streets going the opposite way. And I remember one time I I got confused at which which road I was supposed to be turning on and I turned on the wrong road. Uh, That being said, uh, I also was not driving on the opposite side of the road that I normally drive on, right? So <laughs> any any challenges adapting to driving on the opposite side of the road that you're used to driving on? Um, I think um, after that, I was, you know, I conquered my fear and I was fine. <laughs> but, um, um, you know, just staying focused and particularly um, with a lot of the, you know, early morning starts and that that first um, run of test events we had where we were driving up the mountain and, it, you know, it was 3 a.m. starts and 4 a.m. starts to get up on um, on site by time, at the right time. Um, just staying really, you know, having to make a real conscious effort to stay literally on the right-hand side of the road. So, um and um, and not lose that attention. But, yes, every now and then, you know, you do have a momentary, uh, uh, where am I? But yeah, thankfully after that, not too many problems. <laughs> yeah, for me, it was always the turns. I'm like, oh, I'm supposed to be turning left, but I'm supposed to be on this side. Yeah, I always had a, always had a challenge with those. Craig, how about you? Anything else on your list before we wrap up? Um, I, the things I, I remember doing stuff, uh, you know, with people from work, but outside of work. And, and um, Emery may say this in a minute too, but uh, it was, I remember the big bowling um, league that uh, had been set up and everybody from a lot of people from uh, uh, the organized committee were in it and, and um, having every week going down to the, the bowling alley there and, and, and having a competition and just the way that sort of played out. That was a lot of fun. I was on the team that got third, so I was happy, but Unfortunately, my my wife's team ended up winning the whole thing, um, so I was a bit uh, I've been put in my place ever since. <laughs> yeah, so when you propose when you proposed, Craig, she didn't look at you and say, "Well, you're a you're a third place guy." <laughs> luckily, no, no, luckily not. <laughs> and the funny thing was is that I was on a team with uh, Scott Lasker and Wendy Ennis and Trevor Walsh, and they. Uh, um, they were all really good bowlers. I was not a good bowler. I had, I still have little skill in in ten pin bowling, and because of my lack of ability, I had a really high handicap, or it, it meant that our team got a really high handicap, which actually contributed to us winning. Because on the night that we played the last match, I actually played really well, and so we killed it. Um, but um, you know, small victories, small victories. So, <laughs> so out of everybody there. Who was the best bowler? Ooh, that I don't remember. 
I think Scott Lasker was pretty good. Yeah, he was he was up there. He was oftentimes getting in the two hundreds. So. Yeah, as opposed to my eighty two or <laughs> eighty one on a regular basis. So. <laughs> Hey, Amory, I'm with you. If I can break triple digits, I'm very, very happy. All right. Well, this has been a huge amount of fun. I've really enjoyed the conversation. It's great to catch up with you after a long time and to see both of you again. You both look exactly the same to me. It's not fair. Life uh, <laughs> seems to be treating you right. So kudos to you for that. As I mentioned at the beginning, we've got the three assignments. So let's start with the music assignment. So Anne-Marie and Craig, a particular song or musical group that uh, when you hear today, it takes you your mind right back to Salt Lake. Yeah, I think I, um, and I had a quick look. I'm not sure if someone's picked it already, but Drops of Jupiter by Train was, I think, the most overplayed song on the radio that year um, in 2001, potentially. Um, and every time I hear it, um, I do think about um, driving up the mountain um, with a group of people singing really loudly, um, and it will forever be sort of stuck in my mind as as part of that Salt Lake experience. I don't think we've got Train on the on the list, so I'm happy to put that on there. How about you, Craig? For me, it kind of went to a different direction. It wasn't so much about what was on the radio, but being thrown in and working with a bunch of Australians uh, for the first time, I got uh, forced, I mean, introduced to uh, you know, Australian music. And so uh, one of the big uh, bands they were they were always harping on that I should listen to was Powderfinger. And um, the big song that they had out at that time was My Happiness. Uh, they actually came to Salt Lake and a bunch of us went to uh, their concert in one of the, the locals there. But yeah, My Happiness by Powderfinger just sort of brings me back because, um, again, because of the Australians, this is, this is what they were promoting to me. All right. Well, Train and Powderfinger, we'll get them both on the list. And listeners, you can look at Spotify. We've got a playlist on there, the Salt Lake 2002 Retrospective Playlist. You can see all of the songs that have been nominated by all of our guests so far. All right. Now let's go to food. Is there a particular place that you'd like to go eat? Uh, you frequented when you worked there in Salt Lake? Or it could have been up in Heber around the Soldier Hollow area as well. You know, um, Any particular restaurant that you like to go to? Um, for lunch, I was a bit of a Globe devotee, as um, we found out through the podcast, many other people were as well. Um, but one of us, as an Australian coming into a new country, um, one of the things that's amazing about the US is um, the Mexican food. And so for me, um, I really enjoyed, I think it was the blue iguana and then there was the red iguana. Um, and they were two of my favorites, perhaps not for lunch every day, but I really enjoyed those restaurants. Well, I'm going to give you 1,000 points for red iguana, mm -hmm. blue iguana, because I'm a huge Mexican food person myself, and they have excellent Mexican food, and yeah. it's my favorite place to eat Mexican. In, and they're still in Utah, there? So. Oh, still there. In fact, they've opened up another red iguana restaurant about a block away, just around the corner from the original red iguana mm -hmm. restaurant because it was so popular. So, um, yeah, it's a fantastic place. All right, Craig, what have you got for your food place? Yeah, uh, for for me for lunch, uh, we kind of went to you know again the usuals, the Globe, the Deli. I think that was across the street, um, even up to the mall to to some of the I think to some of the fast food places. But what I remember most about like especially around lunchtime was going to that sort of area that was right outside the Wells Fargo building, that old park, and that had the amphitheater, especially in the summer, and everybody just kind of sat out there and, and had lunch, uh, and that was 
something memorable for me. Um, but I also remember, too, on Fridays, uh, Friday afternoons, uh, a lot of the workforce would go to either Lazy Moon or Porter Call afterwards just to kind of unwind from the week um, and catch up So on everybody's stories. So that was um, something that stuck it sticks out in my mind still to this day. All right. We'll get those on the list. Port of Call, I don't think we have on there. So let's uh, let's get that one on there. Now, to conclude our wonderful conversation, well, at least it's been wonderful for me. I've really enjoyed it. Uh, let's talk about those favorite Olympic moments. And they could be anything uh, from the people that you worked with or something that you saw during competition, something that happened behind the scenes before, during, or even after the games. Why don't you each give us your favorite Olympic memory? So for me, I think it was during the closing ceremony um, and it was all hands on deck um, at um, at the stadium um, and um, there was a lot of us around and um, as is normal in closing ceremonies, sometimes we don't always get the number of athletes that we had planned for and so there was a last-minute push for seat filling um, in the areas sort of directly to the side of where the athletes were just to kind of bulk it out a little bit. Um, And so I was pretty lucky um, that I got swept up. I think it was Todd who was sweeping people up. Um, And um, we got placed um, next to, um, uh, on the I think on the right-hand side of the stage. Um, And I remember being, you know, um, a stone's throw from, I think it was Bon Jovi um, and, that was pretty exciting for me. Um, but the really exciting moment was at um, as the athletes um, left the stadium, they all walked down onto the field of play. And because we were in the athlete seating, to make it look good on television, they wanted everybody to sort of move with them. And so we did. And so we found ourselves on the field of play um, with a lot of athletes. Um, and it was really, really exciting and team officials. And, you know, there was, so we looked around and there were all people that you recognized and had seen on, you know, at venues um, competing. And it was really a memorable moment. And I remember I actually rang my um, my family back in Australia and I'm like, can you see me? I'm on the field of play. And they're like, no, no, we can't see you. <laughs> so that for me was a memorable moment. Um, shortly thereafter, followed by, um, um, getting um, retrieved back to do what we were actually being paid to do, which was to get spectators out of the venue. So back to pushing wheelchairs um, shortly thereafter. But that was, it was just a moment in time, which was um, um, really special for me. I love it. Craig? Well, I, I think, you know, I'll, I'll give two. And the reason is, is because one is mine, my probably favorite moment is the same as, as Anne-Marie's. And just to expand on, on that, I, luckily I wasn't on duty that night. So um, I stayed on the field with the athletes um, and we ended up, as she said, you kind of got shoveled in and we were then forced, the athletes were starting to disperse to go back up to the to the village. And it was just a, they were just walking back up to, to the village there at the university. And we got swept up right with them. And here we are walking with Apollo Ono is right in front of me and some of the other athletes that you're just like, I, I can't believe we're walking um, with these guys. And there were people along the fence line, spectators going, high-fiving people. And we're like, yeah, we're athletes. We're high-fiving people as we as we walk back up. And the next thing we know, we're back up at the village. And then, of course, we weren't able to get in the village with our accreditation. <laughs> but So we got turned around. But it was just, a, it was definitely a moment. 
Um, but I also like to, you know, just going back to Soldier Hollow and the people I worked with there, uh, Phil, Janine, and Andy, you know, from the venue and Tina uh, Kitts and Stephanie Clark that worked with me. But together, it was just an amazing experience. And every day uh, working that venue just gave you goosebumps just because it was just such a phenomenal atmosphere. Um, I never pictured, you know, there in Salt Lake that we would have such a big cross country and biathlon following. And it, it just um, became, you know, phenomenal the way the attendance turned out, people showing up and and how much energy that was that came from it. And that really kind of fueled, uh, you know, you know, you wanting to come back the next day and doing it all over again, even though you were dead tired and, and hadn't had much sleep. You just wanted to get back up and do it again. Well, those are fantastic memories. Uh, I really appreciate you taking time all the way from Gold Coast to share those with us. Now, Emery and Craig, if people want to reconnect with you, if they want to share stories of Salt Lake or want to figure out what you're doing these days, uh, what's the best way for them to contact you? Um, I think probably the easiest way is to contact Craig and myself through LinkedIn. Um, so um, drop us a drop us a message um, and um, connect with we would uh, love to you know you, we do try to keep in in contact with a lot of people but um, we'd love to hear from you if we haven't been able to manage that as well exactly yeah all right fantastic LinkedIn it is thank you again Craig and Marie it was a lot of fun listeners please like and subscribe to our podcast and we'll talk to you again next week again Craig and Emery thank you so much thank you we've loved being part of it.